How's it going, everybody? This is Brandon, and uh, this is the first episode of Life in Paradise podcast. For those of you that don't know me, I've been coming back and forth to San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua, for about four years now. I uh, started a little business down here with a guy named Zach. Uh, came down on vacation, met him, and uh, he was on a sailboat. We both decided that he needed a bigger and better boat. And if I could provide that for him, we'd go into business. So that's what we did. I got the boat, and he sailed it down here. The business has been going strong, and I decided to sell my business back home and move down here to help grow this little business. Uh, the purpose of this podcast is to just let people know what it's like down here. Uh, it's not like living in the U.S. where you have big box stores 10 minutes away and fuel around the corner. It's... Uh, Kind of like living in the Old West, we say. You never know what adventure you're going to have or what it's going to take to get something done. It's always takes more time than what you expect, and it's never fun in the moment, but it's always something you can look back on and laugh. So anyway, I'm just going to start talking about stories, what I deal with, what I see, uh, funny stuff that I see on a daily basis that would never happen in the U.S. And um, I'd encourage anyone, if you have questions, shoot me an email. Uh, texasfoundations at gmail.com it's my old work email address but i'm too lazy to start a new one also you're going to notice that um you're going to hear stuff in the background like birds chirping and me breathing i just uh i'm not too good with editing this sound stuff so for now you're just gonna have to deal with the background noise maybe one day i'll turn into a podcast guru and get everything sounding professional but until now not so much so I'm recovering from a uh, sore elbow last night. I uh, went to the fight night, which is like a local uh, get-together where amateurs just box, and they have tag team and mixed martial arts and stuff like that. So it's at a local gym where I work out, and they are, were looking for volunteers to get up there and arm wrestle. And so Chris, one of the trainers at the gym, looked at me, and Volin told me that I was going to be the first person to get up there and, and arm wrestle. So I got up there. I went against a guy and beat him, so I stayed. And then um, another a huge Polish guy got up uh, against this black guy who's from the Caribbean coast who's probably, I don't know, 5'9", 220, solid muscle. And I had a feeling that it would be me and him at the end of the, of the night arm wrestling for the, for the championship. But the Polish guy got up there and killed the little short uh, black guy and so I thought, oh, man, there's going to be no way I'm going to be able to beat this guy because the black guy, it was like a solid tree trunk. Like, I'm talking solid muscle, short, and like short, stout arms. So I got up there against the Polish guy, and uh, I killed him like in no time flat, just put him down, and I could not figure out what was going on. Well, then, so I won the whole tournament. They give me this bottle of rum. Well, then uh, Sumi, which was a little black guy, he hopped up, and said, hey, man, let's just go one-on-one -on -one for fun. And I'm thinking, well, he just got beat, but yeah, I'll go for it. So he gets up there, and we lock arms, and he uh, beats me. And so, I don't know, there were people saying that he was cheating. I guess he knows some like, kind of technique that's against the rules, but I wasn't too worried about it. I gave, offered him the ball of rum, and he wouldn't take it, so we cracked it open and took a couple shots. But um, it was fun, but now I'm dealing with a sore elbow and pulled muscle in my back. I think. So it's now Sunday, um, exactly one week after what they call Semana Santa here in uh, Central America. And I think most Latin American countries celebrate the same type thing, but it's basically the week that leads up to Easter Sunday. 
uh, the entire country pretty much shuts down and people just party. Uh, like they party. It like puts Mardi Gras to shame. Uh, how much these people party, how much they drink, and how wild they get. Like in town, there's a bunch of little gringo-owned um, businesses. And for those of you that don't know, gringo is just a term for white person down here. Uh, so anyway, there's a bunch of gringo-owned uh, businesses. And everyone pretty much shuts them down between Wednesday and Sunday, uh, the Wednesday that leads up to Easter Sunday, even though the town gets flooded with people and people could do you know all sorts of extra business if they wanted to. It's not worth all the craziness that goes on. Uh, the town's infrastructure is set up to have 15,000 residents. And for that week, they say that the population triples or quadruples. So you can imagine the strain it puts on the, the water system and the internet and the power. Like, it's constantly going out. It, it takes 45 minutes to get into town because of traffic, where normally it would take about seven minutes. So people just stay away. I, I camped out at my house, basically went and bought groceries and provisions to last me from Tuesday through Sunday. Um, you know, and, and like Saturday night is the worst. Um, typically that's when people die and, uh, stuff just goes terribly wrong. I think there's 13 deaths this year in Nicaragua, uh, during the Semana Santa week, which I don't know, in my opinion, not the best way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but hey, everyone has their own traditions. Luckily this year for Semana Santa at my house, I didn't lose power or, well, I can't lose water because I'm on a well, but when the power goes out at my house, I automatically lose water because the water well is electric. So it needs electricity to pump the water up out of the ground. But either way, it was a pretty good one uh, for me this year because we didn't, um, didn't lose power. Now, the two days after Semana Santa, so the Monday and Tuesday after Easter, we pretty much had no power from 9 a.m. to like 6 p.m. for two days in a row, which means no internet as well. So it's super frustrating, but, you know, down here it's not the end of the world. Uh, You don't really have air conditioning in your houses, so you just, you know, it's not like you're sweating, and you typically wouldn't be. You're just sweating like you are normally. And uh, it's not bad up here. I have a pretty good breeze. And so I just open up all the doors and windows and let the air come through and read and swim most of the day uh, when there's no power. Now, I know the fact that uh, power sometimes cuts out isn't appealing to a lot of people. And they might think, how do you call that paradise when you don't have power? Well, it is paradise because it's so cheap to live here. And and, in my opinion and the opinion of others, that outweighs the fact that sometimes you don't have power and sometimes you don't have internet. Just to give people an idea of the cost of living. I'm living in a two bedroom, two and a half bath house with a separate uh, guest quarter. So the main house has got the kitchen, living area, a gigantic master, a huge master bath, and a huge back porch. And I have a view of the ocean up on a hill. So I'm not like right on the ocean. I'm about maybe three or four miles back, but I can see, see a good chunk of the ocean from my house. There's also a little guest house that's got a full bedroom, full bath. I got a full-time uh, caretaker, day and night, who, you know, they, they do gardening. They uh, fix things around the house. They clean the pool. Whatever needs to be done, there's always someone around to do it. And there's also a night watchman. So uh, not that you necessarily need someone around at night, but it's a peace of mind. You know, this is a very poor country. So people who are desperate for money uh, see a gringo living on a hill uh, they're going to watch them, you know, and if you're not careful, if you have a bunch of enemies, then they'll come steal stuff from you. Um, you know, not, 
I'm not saying that they will, but I'm saying it's, it's so cheap to have someone around full time that it's not worth the risk. Uh, I used to live in town and when I lived down there, someone broke in and stole some money out of my closet when I was gone. Now, if I'd had what we call a quitador, which is someone who looks out for your place when you're not around, that wouldn't have happened. So I think the cost for a quitador is about $250 a month. And so uh, there's a daytime one and a nighttime one. So I'm just renting this out. So the rental agency pays for the daytime quitador. So they're, they're paying for that. Supposedly, I'm supposed to start paying for the nighttime, but they haven't said anything to me about having to pay for him, which... Whenever they do, I'll be glad to pay the 200 and whatever dollars a month because it's peace of mind. When I leave my house, I can leave all the doors wide open, leave my computer out, leave everything out and not have to worry about a thing. Whereas if I didn't have someone around, I'd want to lock everything up, maybe put, you know, the computer in a place that would be inconspicuous to a thief so that if someone did break in, they wouldn't, wouldn't be able to find it. But with someone here 24-7, I'm not worried one bit about that. So anyway, so the cost to live here... Um, my rent is $1,000 per month. That includes both caretakers for now. And also, you know, all my water includes my internet. The only thing I'm supposed to pay for separately is my power, which I don't use much. I only have an air conditioner in the master bedroom. And I only use it about an hour and a half a day. Uh, in the afternoons when it gets really hot, I'll fire it up and hang out in the room if I'm not out and about. The house also has a uh, swimming pool, so it's fully maintained. It's fully, it's cleaned. I mean, the guy comes and cleans it like every three hours. I think sometimes he doesn't have anything to do. So the pool is spotless most of the time. I've had a flat tire and he's helped me change it. Well, he didn't help me. He just did the whole thing for me. Um, he washes my car. He does my laundry. He cleans the house. I'm sure if I wanted him to cook, he would do that too. Although I wouldn't trust their cooking ability. For some reason, they down here, they do not know how to cook. They overcook everything. And everything's bland. So Nicaragua is not the place to go if you're like a foodie, unless you want to start a restaurant and blow everyone out of the water, which would not be hard to do. As long as you're catering to, catering to tourists, um, the locals won't pay for good food because they have enough to just survive. So going back to my definition of paradise, I mean, in my mind, for the, for the view that I have and what I pay uh, to live here and the service that I get, Oh, yeah, I didn't mention I live on six and a half acres. It's loaded with fruit trees, mango, uh, jacote, tamarindo, which is all kind of local fruit. Um, he also has a little garden. And, the, and, and Ronnie, the caretaker, manages all that. So, I mean, whenever I'm ready for some mangoes, I say, hey, Ronnie, can you grab me some mangoes? And he'll run out and climb and get me a basket of mangoes if I want. So to me, it's paradise because you, um, you, know, you get all the benefits of you know, a wealthy person in the States, so to speak but it doesn't cost much to have it down here. So it's worth it to me for the power to go out and to live on a bumpy dirt road um, in exchange for, for all the amenities that, that, that you get for your money. But I want to go back and talk about the uh, flat tire situation a little bit. Um, you know, like I said a few minutes ago, like everything that needs to get done down, down here can, can be an adventure. So um, we were leaving to go to Costa Rica uh, 3.30 in the morning, it was uh, myself and six others. We're going to sail on the boat, uh, do some paperwork in Costa Rica for customs. We have to check the boat out of Nicaragua, check it into Costa Rica, and check it 
out of Costa Rica and back into Nicaragua. Long story, I'm sure I'll talk about it someday, but it has to do with uh, the legalization and the titling of the boat in Nicaragua. It has to leave the country every so many days. But anyway, so we were leaving to go down there, and we had all of us piled up in this little car that I have. It's a Hyundai Galloper, which is about the size of like a Toyota RAV4, uh, maybe a little bigger, but we were just loaded to the gills, 3.30 in the morning, headed to the dock and have a flat tire. We limped the car all the way to the dock, and... I just, we pull out in the boat, I call the boat mechanic, and I say, hey, Rigo, you know, the tire's flat on the Galloper, can you change it? And so we get back from Costa Rica four days later, and the Galloper's got a new tire on it with the flat one in the back of the vehicle. So that left me with uh, a flat tire that I needed to get fixed so that I would have a spare. So there's like four or five uh, tire repair guys in town, and sometimes they have tires and sometimes they don't. So they're like, there's like no discount tire or anything like that. So I go around to all these different guys, and they say, no, they don't have one, but I have to go to Rivas, which is the next town about 45 minutes away. So I go to Rivas and stop at the first tire man. He didn't have it. He points me down the road. And I end up going to five different tire guys before I finally found one that had the right size tire that I need. And he didn't have new ones. He just had used ones. But, and they also had nails in them, which had been plugged. So I found the one with the least amount of nails, take it to a different guy, have him patch it because the guy that sells tires doesn't install them or fix them. So I take that tire to another guy, have him pull the nails and the plugs out, patch them properly, mount it on my spare, throw the spare back on the car. A week later, have another flat tire. But I'd already gone through the process, so I tackled the learning curve. It didn't take five guys. It only took two. One guy to buy the tire, one guy to fix the tire and mount it on the rim. I think the tire cost me 30 bucks, and it cost $4 to have it mounted on the rim. And they don't, they don't balance tires here. So uh, however it mounts is how it runs, and if it wobbles, it wears that way. thought it was pretty funny, but um, I didn't even ask about balancing. I looked around and saw that they didn't have the tools that it took to do it. I'm sure you could get it done in Managua, but that's two and a half hours away, and I don't drive that far unless I absolutely have to. Now, don't get me wrong, because it, it can be frustrating. You know, uh, the last thing you want to do is spend three hours of your day getting a tire fixed. But unlike at home, where you're pressed for time, and you have to get things done because you have to move on to the next thing here, it's like you think, well, what else do I have to do? You know, so it takes some time to get out of the mindset. And I'm still working on it. Like, I still put things off because I don't want to spend so much time doing it. But uh, as time goes on, you get a little bit more accustomed to it and then you kind of tackle the learning curve and you figure out how to get stuff done or, or who to talk to. That's a big thing. If, it, if, if you don't know, you know where to start, knowing who to start with is probably your best bet. You know, that takes, takes some time too to figure it out because part of their culture down here is that they, if they don't know something, they won't tell you they don't know. They will just lie or make something up and leave it up to you to figure it out. And Everyone who's spent time down here will agree with that. And I don't know why that is. It's just part of their culture. Um, so you've got to know how to weed out the bad information from the good. And the best thing to do is talk to other gringo expats who have been down here a while. And, you know, you build up a little network and there's groups on Facebook and you can post your questions and you'll normally have an answer within 15 minutes. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, the town where I am. It's called uh, San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. And it's on the Pacific side. Um, it's just to the west of the gigantic lake, which is, I think, Lake Nicaragua, in the middle of the country. So there's always a wind that blows from the Caribbean side across that lake all the way through the Pacific side. So unlike most seaside communities, 
which have air coming off the water, we have air coming from our backs, you know, blowing out towards the water. So it, it keeps the salty air from destroying everything as bad as it normally would. I mean, every now and then, you know, we have some what we call onshore wind where the wind is blowing from the ocean towards us. So you have some salty corrosion on stuff, but it's nothing like you would see um, in Florida or, you know, anywhere else where the wind is being blown from the water inland. So the town is centered around a little protected bay, which is called the Bay of San Juan. And uh, originally the town was, was built um, as a little, it was just a little fishing village. And um, the houses down there are still, you know, they're still there. Uh, they're just little shacks and shanties. They're slowly, you know, rebuilding as tourism uh, is becoming more prevalent. Money's coming into the community and the houses are getting built up a little bit better, a little bit nicer. Prices are definitely gone up. I've seen probably a 15% increase in um, the standard price of things in the last four years. So all, uh, all because of, of tourism. So um, it's pretty cool. Like the, uh, the town is just centered around a little beach. Uh, the beach is not somewhere you'd really want to go hang out or, or, or surf. You can't really do that because it's, it's a bay. So it kind of you know, comes in a good ways. And there's not many, many waves um, to surf on or anything like that. Uh, all the boats are moored up there, so they're, they're tied to like permanent anchors, basically. They're just big trash cans full of concrete that they sink into the mud. Boat pulls up, latches to it, doesn't have to use an anchor. There's no marina. Uh, there's no infrastructure for boats other than a dock, a concrete dock. that You really can't even pull your boat up to it because um, the tide swings so much that uh, the the stairs that lead down to it, um, you know, it'd be too hard to pull your boat up to those stairs. So they have what's called a water taxi, like a little fiberglass boat about 25 feet long. Uh, you can put up to 20 or 25 people on it, and you they'll give you a ride out to your boat. Some people have their own little dinghies, and they'll they'll drive them into town, pull them up on the beach. But then then what are you going to do after that? You know, you gotta either anchor it or chain it to something or have someone sit there and watch it. So we just use the uh, the water taxi to get back and forth out to the boat. So I know some of you are probably thinking, what does he keep talking about? The boat, this boat, that boat. So we run a, um, a sailboat charter, uh, business. It's called Nika sail and surf. And basically we take people up and down the coastline, take them to a beach, throw out an anchor, let people swim, snorkel, uh, feed them ceviche and chips and salsa and give it an open bar. It's a pretty good time. So that's what, that's what our business is. And so we're constantly fighting the wear and tear on the boat and trying to get, you know, parts made in France to Nicaragua. It's always challenging, but, you know, that's part of it. Like I said, we have plenty of free time. We, we use that to our advantage. So if it takes a two weeks to get a part, we take two weeks to get a part. Now, normally we don't let anything fester that stops the boat. So we keep spare parts on hand that would actually shut the boat down. Good thing is it's a sailboat and it's got two motors. So one motor is out of commission. We always have the other one to get us by. And since it's a sailboat, then we always have the, uh, the sails, which we use the sails most of the time, but you need your motors when you're anchoring and navigating through the bay and around other boats and whatnot. You can't really sail through a uh, barrage of stationary boats. So that's a little bit about us and the business and what we do. I've got so many stories about problems with the boat and how they were dealt with. And, you know, I'll touch on all those kind of as, as the show progresses, but uh, we're getting ready to have to beach the boat. So it's a catamaran. So it allows um, 
You know, it allows to, to be safely put on a beach if you do it right. Basically, when the tide's up, you pull it as far forward as you can right before it starts to touch the ground. You anchor it there. And then as the tide goes out, you end up with the boat on the ground. So sometimes things go wrong with the boat and you have to have it out of the water in order to fix them. Well, for us to properly haul the boat out of the water with a lift, which is what you know most people do, it's a 12-hour sail to uh, Costa Rica. It's expensive to pull it out. It's expensive to operate the boat. So end up costing us three or four days of time plus a couple thousand dollars. And for what we need to do, we're just going to beach the boat. So be on lookout for that report. We've done it a couple times in the in the past and it's worked fine there's always a risk of damaging something but um you know if you're if you're careful and you do it right uh typically things will work out just fine so stay tuned for that update going back to the uh cost of living i think i left a couple things out but basically i'm on a two thousand dollar a month budget and that's plenty so that leaves me that's a thousand dollars for rent and that leaves me with a thousand dollars to spend throughout the month so about 150 bucks in my electric bill, maybe $25 on cell phone, $125 a week in food, money to go out, and then money for what I call like random projects. So like I want to build a little smoker. So I got to find a 55-gallon drum and buy the parts and pieces and get it put together. I'm also going to have some uh, lounge chairs built. So, um, you know, basically $2,000 a month is plenty to live on. So if you have a fixed income or of retirement age, and you're thinking, I only have 2000 a month. That's plenty. Uh, you'll live like a king. Provided you can, you know, pay cash for your car, which, you know, you don't drive that much. Health insurance, I think, um, well, that's a whole other show. But I, I think 1000 bucks a year will get you the best health insurance that, that money can buy. As far as hospitals go and healthcare, there's not a ton around here. But in Managua, which is two and a half hours away, they have a top-notch hospital. I haven't toured it. I have toured some in Guatemala that were top-notch, and I hear this one is, is just the same. So that doesn't, doesn't scare me by any means. Most of the doctors here all went to school in the U.S., and they come back here to practice. Anyway, my point is $2,000 a month is, is more than plenty to get by and live, and live pretty nice. I think uh, a beer costs a dollar in a restaurant and 70 cents at the grocery store. So... That kind of gives you an idea about the cost of living. I went to the uh, little market in town the other day, and I got like a pineapple, two cucumbers, a bag of uh, cacao beans, a little bag of um, rosemary, a papaya, two avocados, and I think my bill was like $4.50. All of its fresh produce. You know, you can tell that it's fresh um, because it – you know, you literally will buy a banana and two days later it's, it's rotten. So whatever they do in the U.S. to make their bananas last a week or two, they don't do it here. So I'm not a huge, like, you know, non-GMO head. I don't keep up with all the things that the U.S. does to their produce. But I know that whatever it is that the U.S. is doing, these Central America and Latin American countries aren't doing. So who's to say whether it's good or bad or whatever? Either way, it costs money, which is reflected in the price to the consumer and it shows me that the produce here is fresher because obviously it's not as old. They pick it and it's in the market within two days. Two days after that, it's rotten. So it's a little bit of an inconvenience that you have to go, you know, buy avocados every two or three days because they go bad. But at the same time, they're super cheap and you know that they're not injected with some sort of preservative or sprayed with some sort of preservative, which will make it last longer. So um, I think that's going to wrap it up for our uh, prototype. Our first show, I expect things to get better 
as time goes on and I get the hang of this. I'm not used to talking to myself, at least being recorded when I talk to myself. Um, the whole point of the show is that I'm going to explain to you what it's like living down here, you know, tell you what's happening in my life, hopefully provide some laughs and some head scratching and provide some insight for those of you that are considering moving down to paradise, whether it's Nicaragua, Guatemala, Spain, you know, whatever, wherever you're thinking about moving, it's completely foreign than what you're used to. So the whole goal of this is to provide you some insight so you can see what it's really like. There are things that are great and there are things that are not so great. So I'm going to try to try to touch on all of it. And like I said, I'd love to hear questions um, because I'm afraid I'm going to run out of ideas. All my friends back home tell me that I'll never run out of ideas because it's so it's so different and there's always something to laugh at uh, but anyway thanks for listening feel free to shoot me some feedback texasfoundations at gmail.com check out our website nikasailandsurf.com and if you're considering coming down to nicaragua we'd love to talk to you and uh, show you around our little piece of paradise i'm uh signing off for now but i guarantee i'll be back keep it tranquilo This morning